0: Beginning the Trek, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek.
1: Welcome to Beginning the Trek. This is the bonus episode, third bonus. Uh, and of all the bonuses, you should definitely listen to this one, because in this one, we talked with John Champion from Mission Log, and it was phenomenal. So we got to thank him for that. And you guys are in for a real treat.
0: Yes, this is uh, uh, a, a little extra trek, not part of our normal our normal 52-episode journey, but we're going to be talking about Undiscovered Country. And, yeah, John Champion was just fantastic. We're going to get to that in just a moment here. But uh, we wanted to let you know uh, how to find us. So uh, you can find us on our website at www.beginningthetrek.com.
1: Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Begin the Trek. That's where I post when I watch. And on Facebook.
0: At Beginning the Trek.
1: Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So this one's going to be fairly long, so why don't we just get to the shimmer?
0: Absolutely. Let's get to the shimmer and get to the great conversation.
1: So I have questions for you guys that might be... It's definitely related to the movie, but it's also star trek related so i could start with that i have super random movie thoughts and then i have what i really really want to talk about which were the absolutely great moments of the movie because this was the first one i think where i would watch this again on my own for funsies it was so good oh
0: that sounds like a five that sounds like a five out of five yeah yeah i guess we'll have to get to a rating later from you
1: Um, So see, as bonus, we don't necessarily have to stick to the format or anything. We don't
0: have to stick to any format, but but here is one thing that we probably should do, and I just realized this: we should probably just catch people up on Star Trek three and Star Trek four, so they've got a, a just the the quick spoilers. So this is that let's talk spoilers okay. that we've talked about in the past, and I'm just going to wrap it up real quick. So uh, when last we left off, Spock had just died, and uh, Wrath of Khan ended, and his his uh, coffin was sitting down on the Genesis planet. So Star Trek three: The Search for Spock. Spock is alive again. Shocking. Uh, and I'm not going to spoil how that all happens if you haven't seen it yet and you really want to go see it. Another thing that happens is Kirk's son David is killed by Klingons. And that's going to be an important thread throughout the rest of the movies. So Kirk now has a real reason to hate Klingons. Uh, and then the last thing that happened in Star Trek Three that I want to mention is that the Enterprise, our beloved ship, is destroyed. So without giving you all the details, that's what happens in Star Trek 3. And then we move on to Star Trek 4. We've got a Klingon ship that we have stolen. We do some time travel. We save the whales. Ultimately, we come back to the Federation where Kirk is uh, given the punishment of becoming captain and is given a new ship, USS Enterprise NCC-1701A. And so Kirk is a captain again, the ship is back and new and exciting, and um that's all that happened between those between Star Trek II and Star Trek six.
2: <laughs> well wait a minute. Wait a minute, Andy. Yes. You, you you seem to be skipping a number. Um You seem to be skipping let's see. Star Trek f- Five, Five. I think, is the one. I'm pretty sure that's the one that you're skipping.
0: Well, now would be a great time to introduce uh, our guest. We have a guest (laughs) here today. Uh, John Champion. Thank you so much for for being a part of our episode today.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: John is co-host of the Mission Log podcast and the Mission Log Live podcast. Both are Roddenberry Star Trek podcasts. And uh, John is one of the most knowledgeable people about Star Trek I have ever met. And I I am so thrilled to have you. So, John, welcome.
2: That's well. Well, thank you. I mean, I uh, now I can do nothing but disappoint. So, uh, no, 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 not, <laughs> at all. not at all.
0: But you did start by mentioning that there is a number that I missed. So, yeah, Star yeah. Trek Five was a movie.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. Did just you like, just
1: say it's a thing?
0: It, yeah, kind of. And and I think you know it's it's kind of funny because it's like Paramount just decided that it never happened.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wait, 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 okay, but as an as a newbie, okay. Like, I don't know anything here. You guys are like except that you guys clearly think it's bad.
0: John, do you wanna do you wanna catch her up on Star Trek Five?
2: Um so look, uh Star Trek Five is a movie the way that Wings was a band.
1: I don't know what that means either.
2: No, no, nah, no.
1: Welcome to beginning the track. No.
2: <laughs> Look, Star Trek Five is a very poorly made movie, and they had a lot working against them, so they pretty much could only have made a bad movie.
1: So we skip it. Well, at least, at least for this journey, we've skipped it. I will say, I did watch on your suggestion uh, the not the not Star Trek One. The, the motion picture. I didn't watch that one. I watched Spock dying. Yeah. Spock coming back to life yeah. because they searched for him and the save the whales and then this one. There you go. And yes, that's how anybody else who's a newbie is going <laughs> to describe them.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, you got it. You got it. Look, you can go anywhere in the world to this day and say the one with the whales and and people will know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They got better progressively, each one, I was like, oh, okay, I like this better, and then the next one, I was like, oh, I like this one better, oh, I like this one even better, and then this last one, if the new people who are following along with me don't watch this, you really, really should, and I don't say that like I say other ones that you really, really should, I really, really, really mean it, this one you should watch, it is well worth watching.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it, Six is pretty remarkable. It, it just feels like such a breath of fresh air that like they completely reinvented those movies by doing it. But then at the same time, it's the end. And, and I, I remember uh, from doing Mission Log, because it was such a, uh, a regimented and studious way of doing it, going back from the beginning, going through all of the original series, all of the animated series, all of the movies, when we landed at... Star Trek 6, what, three years later? Maybe not quite three, but a couple of years later. I got really emotional um, seeing in the credits their signatures on screen. That just, uh, I'm thinking about it now, and it it really pulled at my heart because I... I cried this time
0: going through, And, and not just once. Each time I watched it, and I got to the end, and I watched those... I watched those those credits each time and just bawled. Yeah. It is the cherry on top of the best Sunday I've ever watched.
2: Well, you, you feel like you've been through a 25-year journey with them, which you don't get to do in, in other TV shows and other franchises. James Bond has been around for more than 50 years, but it's different actors. There's not a lot of continuity. You're not emotionally invested in those the way that you are with Star Trek. Doctor Who has been around a long time, mm-hmm. but again, you, you're reinventing that show every few years, so you don't feel that tight connection. Oh, and
0: we're reinventing Star this, Trek over and over again, too, but this was that yeah
2: it was that original cast. And then you got to see them twenty five years later with their sendoff and and what a magnificent sendoff to give them. But at the same time, they just made a fun movie. And because it was Nick Meyer and because Nick Meyer is a huge Sherlock Holmes fan, he basically made a Sherlock Holmes movie. Whoa and put Star Trek on top of it.
1: you just you just totally blew my mind. <laughs> okay, who, well, one, who's, who's this Myers guy? Okay, and so, two, yeah. what?
2: Yeah. So, all right, Nick Meyer was brought in to do Star Trek II. After Star Trek motion picture, there's a lot of chaos at Paramount. They knew that they had a successful enough franchise and needed to make another movie, but they weren't going to make the same movie they had made before. Critically, it didn't do that well. Um Arguably, it blew through a lot of budget, but that was also some magic on Paramount's part to fold the failed Star Trek reboots into that movie. So mm-hmm. it didn't actually cost as much as they said, but regardless, Paramount came back and said, all right, we'll make another movie, but we're going to cut the budget and it'll come from the TV production end rather than the motion picture production end. So Harve Bennett, who was a TV producer, was brought in to to do uh, Star Trek II. And they had all these pieces of scripts and all these these story threads, but nobody quite knew how to pull it together. Well, here's this young, hot writer, Nicholas Meyer. Um, He wrote the book, uh, The 7% Solution, about his hero, his literary hero, Sherlock Holmes. That was made into a movie. He made the movie Time After Time, uh, which is... Awesome. Yeah, it is. And he came in and fixed up, yeah, fixed up all of those script pieces. Wait,
1: what's time after time?
2: Oh, uh, so awesome movie. It is uh, Malcolm McDowell playing H.G. Wells and David Warner playing Jack the Ripper.
0: The same David Warner who played Chancellor Gorkhan in Star Trek VI.
2: Right.
1: I thought I recognized him. Okay, but I, I still don't. I'd have to look this up.
2: Well, they end up in 1979 San Francisco to sort of battle it out. And uh, it's magnificent. It's a lot of fun. So, So here you have Nick Meyer, this young hot writer. They bring him in to take these disparate story elements and turn it into Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And he directs it, and he does a hell of a job. And then he story consults, I believe on three and four, five we don't talk about. Obviously. Yeah, and then he comes back for Star Trek 6 to uh co-write and direct that. So it it just felt like you're getting the right team back together and and a big big part of that is Nick Meyer and and his abilities as a writer director. But yeah, but he he's a Sherlock Holmes fanatic and he he wrote a Holmesian mystery story with the murder and trying to figure out who the murderer is and all the plot twists and get the heroes out of the way he he bolted all of that onto star trek
1: huh i did not see that coming okay
2: yeah there's a line in the movie about uh one of spock's ancestors and and they they tie it back to sherlock holmes and the question is okay is he talking about sherlock holmes as if Star Trek exists in some universe where Holmes is a real guy, or is he talking about Arthur Conan Doyle and he's just making a Spock joke?
0: That- I have a, I have a recollection when this movie first came out and I don't know whether it was somebody making it up. It was before, you know, you could just put anything on the internet cause there wasn't one, right? but that, that Amanda, his mother was a descendant of Arthur Conan Doyle. Like that was a part of her backstory. Uh, and That's that great. It was written in yeah. there. So, and uh, sure, why not? Uh, and we do, yeah. and we, you and I, John, already know about the, some of the things that are coming up Holmesian in Next mm-hmm. Generation. In fact, one of the episodes on our list will involve a certain character going into a certain holodeck. Uh, that nice. is, that is on our 52. So.
2: Um, Nice. Without
1: spoiling, I'm really glad you didn't say time travel because (laughs) (laughs) it's not like oh god they're gonna go back in time and meet Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Fantastic.
2: uh, (laughs) No,
0: but there's there's an element coming up. See, we're just she has she has yet to see the any next generation yet or have you watched Encounter at Farpoint yet
1: I have not that one's coming coming up real quick uh, cool,
0: cool. Uh, we'll be doing that so she hasn't seen any of that yet so she knows almost nothing about about anything beyond the Captain Kirk saga at this point wow uh, but, but there are going to be some some very strong connections to not just Arthur Conan Doyle and and Sherlock Holmes, but also, you know, you, you've seen the recurring thread of Shakespeare. You must have mm-hmm. noticed things.
1: Oh, yeah. What is it you say? Bonk, boink, boink, boink on the head or whatever. Bonk, bonk head. Yeah, I was yes. like, oh, we get it. Shakespeare. We, I, I got it. But there were a <laughs> lot of references like... Uh, who's coming to dinner and um yeah oh gosh a lot but so much of the stuff uh that was said was referenced to something else and i'm sure even for the time i missed a bunch because it's so far later that i'm watching it. and and that's what year was this made uh
2: 91 this came out okay yeah yeah
1: so actually not at least
2: I was alive. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to beginning
1: the
0: track, John.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: It makes you feel a little old every
2: now Never. and then. At least it makes me feel Never. a little
0: old every now and then. Uh, so did you pick up on, and maybe you didn't, that Praxis, the the Klingon moon, mm-hmm. was a stand-in for Chernobyl, for the the nuclear meltdown at Chernobyl, which was the Russian nuclear power plant that um, leaked radiation and, you know, basically collapsed, did a lot to collapse the the then Soviet Union.
1: I picked up on the Cold War vibe, but not that specifically. Uh, but there was definitely like, oh, their society is going downhill from here and now's the time for peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or do you want to destroy them? Mm. Which, this is a question for you guys, because... I've had and I've had this question before especially with like Khan and what do you do what do we do with bad guys? What does the federation do with bad guys? Where is Starfleet's place in this? Cuz are are they military or are they not? Are they scientific? Are they discovering things or are they kicking butt and taking names? <laughs> I can't get a straight thing out of this.
2: Yeah, I don't know that you ever will. You know, because it it sort of changes, it seems, from writer to writer, from episode to episode, from movie to movie. One of the complaints about uh, Nicholas Meyer's version of Star Trek is that it was a little too militaristic. and, you know, Gene Roddenberry had said that there is a military structure to Starfleet, that you have ranks and you have division of of labor and tasks, you know, um, but it was not a military organization. But it sort of depends on whose hands it's in from time to time, whether it's more or less military, more or less scientific. Um, in the original series, they had, you know, a penal system and you had... Uh, planets and colonies where you had the, the worst of the worst sort of exiled to be treated um, you, you got the impression that it wasn't a horrible punishment except when things went terribly wrong <laughs> but um, <laughs>
0: which, which if we're showing up Something was Something going was wrong. Going wrong. Right,
2: right, right. But but I mean, here's the thing: you you kind of start out with the assumption that that again, so much in the Star Trek universe is okay, that you don't have you don't have starvation, you you don't have uh, uh, homelessness, you you don't have war, at least not on Earth anymore. So so there's a lot of this stuff that we're assuming just doesn't exist. So you don't have prisons in every city full of uh, the criminal element, that this is a real rarity. And there's a real attempt in this Star Trek universe to treat those who are criminal humanely and thoughtfully. It's very idealized. And and we could have a, a long and heated debate about if that's realistic or not. And <laughs> if, if they're handling that correctly or not, we, we you know, but, but that that is at least the context of what's coming from the show.
1: I always, I don't know where, oh, probably from uh, the, what was the episode where you had, where they introduced Sarek and Amanda and all the ambassadors were on the ship?
2: Right, Journey, Journey, Journey to Babel. Babel. Journey, yeah.
1: Journey to Babel made me think that, okay, the Federation is kind of like a giant UN for worlds and all of the aliens get to be represented. And then mm-hmm. they have the big laws and then the little laws go by whoever's there i will say i think i'm gonna tend towards less utopian because the first the first part of star trek in the movies is is like that like everybody's getting along everything but this undiscovered country was the enemies were way more real they they had which is part of what I liked about the Romulan commander who we never learned her name was that she gave this hint like hey Romulans are way more than what you see just because all you see is the battleships up right up against your border kind of thing mm-hmm. but this gave the klingons i mean they had a lawyer representing kirk granted in a really stupid trial but he was pretty passionate like he was speaking for kirk like hey that's wrong this is wrong this is all messed up and that that was really amazing to see
2: yeah yeah in my opinion (laughs) i I agree yeah agree there's a piece of trivia
0: about that about that lawyer that we could mention here real quick um is that the lawyer was played by an actor named michael dorn and uh he that character is a an ancestor of a character that we're going to meet on next generation which i just think is kind of cool that they tied it back remember the next generation was actually running for what Three seasons at this point?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, th- this is into the fourth, I guess. So 87, 88, 88, 89. Yeah, so you're into the fourth. In 1991, I mean, keep in mind that th- this was the, the the Nadir of Star Trek, 25th anniversary. You had the sixth movie coming out. You had Star Trek The Next Generation at the height of its creative and and popular strength. Um, I believe they had at least already announced Deep Space Nine would be out uh, the next January. I I think if I have the timeline right. Probably. um, So you've got Star Trek in 1991 on the cover of, you know, Newsweek and Time magazine. You've got it really at its peak right here. So... Long story short, they had to make this movie (laughs) because they had to capitalize on this, this pop culture demand for something to be done for the 25th anniversary. Fast forward to the 50th anniversary, and, you know, Paramount for sure was going to make sure that you had a, a movie franchise with some financial success and, and financial investment behind it. Um, and even though we didn't have a, a new TV show on the air in 2016, you could probably guess that there would be one before too long coming uh because the attention was around star trek again so those big anniversaries helped kind of fuel the interest
1: it's crazy that it's been around so long there's i can't think of a whole lot of universe in fact none come to mind a whole lot of universes that will support so many in going in such wildly different directions and such a timeline of okay here's the start here's before the start Here's in the middle of this one and that one. And you guys talk about it. You guys know everything. (laughs) It's it's pretty amazing. Well, both
0: John and I have, I mean, we met at a a Star Trek convention, what, three, four years ago. Something
2: like uh, that. Somewhere
0: near the beginning of Mission Log when you were just getting started with that. And... uh, uh, your head is probably spinning a little bit with the amount of trivia we're talking about in this episode. We don't normally dive this deep into trivia because, you know, the, the concept here is we want, we want the new people to, to, you know, get what they get out of it. But yeah, when you hang around it long enough, it, it you get all this knowledge and you get—the backstory just becomes so fascinating and so interesting. I love how they created the the idea behind, um, let's look at the end of the Cold War, the end of that Cold War, uh, and turn it into a movie. Let's look at topical stuff. We saw so much topical stuff. God, I love Star Trek.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, Jessica, I, I want to get. I mean, you, you are the the newbie. You're the star of this show, and and I I, I want to oh, know. Geez. Well, this yeah. is your journey. <laughs> it, it, it's it's your experience. Right. So, yeah, I I, I do want to know your impressions of. Not just the movie as a movie, I mean, I think you and I are pretty much in agreement here that just as a movie, as a slice of entertainment, it really works well. It, it The pacing is great. The characters are great. It's engaging. It's fun. Um, but as a slice of Star Trek... Was it just sort of the the fun send off, uh, putting a bow on this this history? Um, did it surprise you to see the characters sort of age over time and develop a bit? Um, to talk to me, tell me.
1: <laughs> the the movies starting going from the original series to the actual movies. Yeah, I was like, oh, they gotten right. old. <laughs> Which yeah, is, yeah, and. Uh, When the uh, Wrath of Khan totally dealing with that, um, or was that Spock's... One of them really, really goes heavy into, you're Mm -hmm. old, and them being like, yeah, turns out. Uh, But... So that didn't... By the time I was watching The Undiscovered Country, that didn't uh, have such quite an impact, although they dealt with it in a much more subtle way, I think, in Undiscovered Country, because they did talk about, oh, we're three months from the end Mm -hmm. of the careers, and it seemed like that was not just for the characters, but also for the actors. Like, it was very, very clear, even from things Spock says, that Leonard Nimoy is not going to do this again. Neither is Shatner. Neither is, like, this is it. Uh, I think the send-off wasn't, uh, it, was, it was the perfect setup so that in the end, uh, it was, It was very gracefully done, I thought. There was a a big payoff. But you don't get that nice of a payoff without having the years of the friendship, especially Spock Mm -hmm. and Kirk. Uh, And then starting this movie with Kirk and Spock really at odds, then you get to the final payoff of them together in those conversations. Uh, Gosh, that's beautiful. But I have a bit of a love affair already, and I talked about this before, of Kirk and Spock being... They're soulmates. I guarantee it. (laughs) Um, So that, that payoff was really, really beautiful. The thing that got me the most in this movie was... Something that Andy and I have talked about—that's very Star Trek—and I'm very cynical. I don't think humans <laughs> are going to build a utopia. I think we're going to destroy ourselves. Uh,
0: this is why I've been introducing Star Trek to her and her generation—is to yes. Let's let's shift that.
1: Um, but I just—I look at humans like we're brutal, we're horrible, we're usually the bad guys. Like if I was going to put us in a Star Trek situation, we'd be the bad guys. And this was the first thing that I've seen when Kirk Mm -hmm. admits he's wrong really beautiful and it's not a single epiphany it's he surrenders with instinct because he's like I'm not going to screw this up so I think that was a gut reaction of him being a captain but later when he's in the bunk and he's just like are you afraid of the future and that entire conversation is him coming to grips with I've been so wrong and then in the very end talking to Spock he's just like this was how Mm -hmm. wrong I was it's, it's so beautiful to see that the hero being wrong and that hope and peace are a verb. Oh. That's what I got out of this. That yeah. there's bad guys, that there's bad guys actively being bad guys. And the good guys don't get to sit back and be like, well, let them kill themselves. What do we care? Because that's how it starts. But in the end, Kirk is totally fighting for, and the entire team, totally fighting for this peace that they didn't even think that they wanted. All of them admit, oh, well, we'd all be arrested if it was for our thoughts, because none of us really wanted to be at peace. And I think if I'm going to look at my generation, lots and lots and lots of cynicism. But there's a lot of people, and this is where Star Trek would get really, really good is taking that and saying, you don't get to just sit back and yeah. think that peace happens. We have to work for it. And I think that was the biggest takeaway. And now I kind of want to cry, because
2: <laughs> No, this that, is that, a- <laughs> that was said beautifully. And and listen, we we reach uh, we reach to use a she's uh, not heard Star that. Trek she's phrase. Not heard I haven't. I don't. <laughs> oh, you haven't? Uh, okay. All right. You you, you need to watch uh, the space hippies uh, Wait to, go Eden to sometime, eat sometime because that's just fun. Yeah. Um. This is a conversation that Ken and I have on uh, Mission Log a lot. Mm-hmm. We have it sometimes off the air a lot. <laughs> um. And that is his take on Star Trek versus my take on mm. Star Trek. Ken, Ken wants to start from the position of the utopia that we've gotten there because we can. And where do we then go from there? What, what's the next big adventure, the next big challenge that we get to do because we've hit that utopia, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think I'm cynical, but I like to see heroes and characters that I can relate to. And there there's something about Kirk and Star Trek VI that I really like, that Ken really does not like. And that's that Kirk is flawed, that he that he has this streak of this prejudice mm-hmm. in him. And I think but here's the thing, they set it up perfectly that his whole life He's been trained, essentially, You go back to this military versus exploratory organization. He's basically been trained as a warrior to go out and do battle with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. They're the bad guys. And then you make it personal by them killing his mm-hmm. son. And I think that's something that we can all relate to. Not, not, not that hopefully, you know, not that we've had a, a murder or something in our lives, but but something that happens to you personally that then colors your perception of of people or a a thing or an event that that you can't get out of your own self because of that Mm -hmm. thing you know um so there's something relatable about kirk's journey in this and i don't think that the flaw and the optimism are at odds in star trek i i think they coexist very nicely to say that Humans may not always be perfect. Kirk is the one who in A Taste of Armageddon said, We're barbarians, but we can choose not to kill. We can choose not to be who we are at our at our core. And I think that's a wonderful message. It comes full circle that 25 years Mm -hmm. later, Kirk actually gets to enact that himself and say, you know what? I'm flawed. I'm prejudiced, I'm bigoted, I have these terrible feelings, and, and my gut instinct is to kill or watch these people be killed, but I can overcome that. I think that's a really powerful message. Uh,
0: let me let me tack on to that, because for me, the full circle here was back to what Jessica and I watched as our very first ever episode, which was the Corbomite Maneuver. So. Uh, oh, ah yeah. nice. And you, you seem good ch- it yeah. was <laughs> so, it way, was a very good choice. In in the, but I remember from the Corpite Maneuver how much Kirk had to show Bailey, the young officer mm-hmm. who was scared, who he had to show him this is who we say we are, even when it's the hard thing to do. They wanted to kill us. We have every right to say we should be able to kill him. And rather no that's not who we are we are we are people that are going to help so we're going to go back and help this baylock person and now here it is 25 years later and it's the same lesson of this is who we say we are and kirk had to relearn the lesson himself in this movie and that's the thing that I love the most about about his journey through all of it through his son dying through Spock dying and coming back the Enterprise being destroyed is Kirk had to rediscover who he said he was from the very beginning right and by the end of this movie he's giving you know that while well, it wasn't really a speech where, where's the Kirk speech at the end of this of this movie? There should have been a big Kirk speech
2: because
1: no, it was perfect. It's a, no. what did he say
0: it's about the future?
2: Is that it? Did you say anything else? I think no. I, I think that's right. I think there's a lot of mini Kirk speeches yeah. kind of scattered throughout yeah. the movie. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, we should mention Kim Catrol. And I kind of wanted to know what do you guys think is the Venn diagram between people who like Star Trek and people who like Sex and the City?
2: I thought you're going to ask a Venn diagram between people who like Star Trek and people who like Mannequin. Um,
1: oh, I don't know this. Oh, oh. <laughs> and, and all
0: I all I think of is Big Trouble in Little China.
1: She's in that too. Yeah, sure,
2: well, sure. We're gonna we're gonna do the. Uh, I don't remember that oh, yeah. but it was such a long
1: yeah. time ago when I watched that movie like really long time ago.
0: I don't know if there's a lot of crossover. Probably not a lot of crossover because of this character.
2: And and honestly, she she's pretty well hidden in in this. I mean, she she plays obviously the opposite of Samantha. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 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 And and she's wonderful.
1: Oh, when he does the mind meld, that was what I wanted from the mind meld before. And I don't know if you remember uh. there was a mind meld. And I mentioned it in one of the episodes that we watched, and I was like, "It was so clunky." Mirror, mirror,
0: because it was with Mirror, Mirror, and and McCoy when when, yeah. when Goatee Spock was was extracting yeah. info from McCoy, yeah.
1: And yeah. this was so exactly that opposite of so good. I was like, "Oh, she's in pain! Stop!"
0: Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a little creepy to have him like not just do that but like with everybody there, mm-hmm. and, I mean, that was, that was kind he, of... He,
2: force, he forces it on her. And, and and I think we had, I can't remember if we had a discussion about that on the show or if that was stuff that came up later in the the responses that we got from listeners. But, but there are a lot of people who, who asked, you know, was, was this a violation? Um, and, you know, but, and if it is... Is it in any way justified because this is the thing that has to happen to save others? I mean, it's a really tricky gray moral ground here. Well, yeah. you,
0: you know, and then you start thinking about, you know, torture techniques and, and you know, interrogation and... Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I think uh, and- yeah. I would be gray about it, except in the end, he's like, oh, never mind. We'll just ask Captain Sulu. And it's like, really? <laughs> You went through all of that, and now you're just going to ask your BFF in another ship? Wow. Right. That That bothered me.
0: We need need the list of names. She gave us a list of names. All
1: right. But that last, it was like, this is really horrible. And even Mm. Uhura, it pans to her, and she's just like, I don't know about this. But yeah, if you have telepathy, does that mean an invasion of the mind is as bad as that's... that's Uh, Right. That seems pretty horrible, that's the only yeah. place where you're a hundred percent no yeah. this isn't you can't invade this everything else you can change everything else, but you can't change my brain
2: true maybe yeah
0: I don't know t- technology <laughs> advances and and a lot of a lot of what we saw in Star Trek has come to be um who knows what will happen in the future as we put implants into our our bodies to hook us up to USB ports and and download stuff directly into things i mean technology continues to advance
2: sign me I up know. sign me yeah, up yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: are you a welcome the robot overlords
2: do it kind of do it spirit? yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> we, all, we
0: all want yeah. our our android bodies don't we
2: Hey, uh, well, Ken, Ken's really into the Android body. I just, you know, if you could download uh, to improve my French vocabulary, that would I'd be like great.
0: To, I want to learn Kung Fu like Neo.
2: Sure. Boom. Download it. Right? Dang.
1: Okay, if I was going to do it, that's what <laughs> I would <laughs> Just how I can fly a helicopter. Exactly. Now. Nice. Exactly. nice. Yeah. I, yes. You know, I want to mention yeah. one of the yeah.
0: other things about, about Valeris, about Lieutenant Valeris, and let's throw in... Cartwright, uh, into the whole thing. And it's a theme that shows up in Star Trek that bugs me a little bit. And it's the corrupted leader theme that shows up every now and then. It's not often, but sometimes, sometimes those admirals show up and they're just jerks, but every now and then you get one of them that is like doing bad stuff. Um, and I'm, I was a little frustrated by that, uh, and I wished that they had done a better job of showing that the team of people that were being bad, Cartwright and, and Valeris and Chang, General Chang over on the Klingon side, all the different sides, I wanted to see, and even the Romulan guy, I wanted to see them come to the realization that they too were working together.
2: Yeah, I I mean uh, yes, I, I agree. Um something that Star Trek has been pretty good about, you know, like like you said every now and then you, you just get somebody who is bad Well who's the jerk, who, who's the the overbearing, rigid uh, admiral Commodores, particularly Commodores yes. if you go back to ambassadors, lots uh, of ambassadors. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, oh she saw ambassadors, yeah. ambassadors. Ambassador always Fox. always
2: but the the thing that, it, that I think is a really fine line, and this goes back to the whole, uh, is Star Trek idealistic? Is it utopian? Or is it a reflection of who we are and, and, and how we hope to be better? You know, I, I don't think you can reasonably say that in any institution, particularly one as big as Starfleet, as big as the Federation, you can sort of magically wipe away any... Um, uh, uh, selfish or or uh, uh, prejudiced or, or you know, name a bad mm-hmm. personality Greedy, trait. Greedy, yeah, power-hungry. That any individual, yeah, that any individual might have, yeah. Now, the, the thing that Star Trek has done a pretty good job at is to say that, okay, even if we have a quote-unquote bad guy in one of these positions, We'll actually give them some motivation that we can kind of relate to and kind of say like, okay, well, they're not just bad because they're the mustache twirling bad guy. They're actually motivated by something that they think is right. And I assume that you guys are probably not going to talk about Star Trek Into Darkness if that's on your list, Andy, just take it off.
0: We we, we, we mentioned it <laughs> okay, briefly okay. only in contrast when we started talking about Space Seed, because we did watch Space Seed. Uh, so we mentioned it okay, and, okay. and talked about some of the, the story elements that they brought in.
2: Okay. I'm I'm not a of the JJ Abrams movies, that that is my least favorite. But uh, even then I think there are things about it that I really like. And um, uh, Admiral Marcus is a pretty compelling character. And maybe if they had just focused on him, because here's the thing, he, here's a guy at the top of the food chain with Starfleet, but he is motivated by different ideas. And, and it gets back to the heart of what you were asking, Jessica, is this scientific exploratory or is this military? Mm. Here's a guy who's stuck in the mindset of this being military and he's got to be preemptive, to make sure that they maintain the strategic Mm -hmm. upper hand. Um, And you get a little taste of that again in uh, Beyond, uh, Star Trek Beyond, which is to say, okay, when you eliminate this threat, when when we get to stop being a military organization, can we rewire ourselves to be peaceful, to be exploratory, to be scientific? Mm -hmm. And what does that do to the people who are kind of caught in the middle? So I really like Beyond because it it feels like a very Star Trek story in that respect. But all all this goes back to the this uh, idea that I'm kind of ruminating and forcing you guys to listen to me work it out in my head right now. No, <laughs> I, 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 say, I, are you
0: kidding me? This is all gold. I, this, just keep talking.
2: All right, cool. <laughs> my cool. next
0: two episodes are covered.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just keep talking.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Thank thank you for indulging me. Uh, but in Star Trek Six, you you have these characters who who are at odds with, even though we know who the good guys are and we know what the right outcome is, you can still kind of believe the motivation of the other side. You can get it and go, yeah, these people are stuck in this cold war. They're stuck mm-hmm. in this this mindset that says the world only works in this certain mm-hmm. way, and they will fight to maintain it. And God knows you can apply that to politics today, you know? I'm
0: not sure that that ever goes away either. The being human part, um, I I just, I get a little frustrated when Mm -hmm. I see what, it's not that we in the future are going to suddenly not be greedy, not be angry, not be, you know, whatever you want to throw in there as a negative way of being. Um, It's that... I would hope that Starfleet and the Federation, but Starfleet especially, would have done a good job of weeding them out. And they just show up a lot. Now, maybe that's just in an organization that big.
2: Well, in an an organization that big, there are a lot of places to hide. Mm -hmm. But I also ask this. If you weed them out, where do they go? Because we spend an awful lot of time in Star Trek showing you the, the, the top of the food chain, the big picture. These are yeah. the people who politically can affect change. And they're the ones who had the nice, cushy jobs on, uh, on starships, and they have replicators, and they got nice uniforms, and <laughs> they're And, they're the, and there's the trenches. Right. And then there's and the, the trenches, yeah.
0: yeah. You're about to, you guys are almost done, if I if I remember in Mission Log, you're almost done with the um, Next generation.
2: Correct? Mm-hmm. Correct, And yeah.
0: And then I'm assuming you're going to do the movies and then yep. move into Deep Space Nine, which you haven't seen much of.
2: No, I've seen about four episodes, honestly. Yeah. So
0: I'm so excited to see your perspective. <laughs> Newly. You and Jessica hey, hey. should get together and watch some of <laughs> that. I, I was yeah. going to say,
2: I, I wonder if we're going to catch up at <laughs> I mean, yeah, some point and we'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> nice. We'll, we'll have a mutual uh, DS9 viewing party. That would be excellent. Yeah. yeah there I, you it would go. Love there it.
0: you go. Um... So so you're about to get to the trenches because Deep Space Nine is definitely the mm-hmm. trenches. It's out there on the edge. And, and you know, once they get going, it becomes the front of a pretty major war.
1: As Unless you have a truly anomalous person that's truly and honestly a psychopath who cannot distinguish right from wrong. Um, and then at that point you can say, I don't is it a is it a mental illness of something that they are they are hurting people because they think it's fun and it has nothing to do with things that they have been through or like I don't know if you ever get to that kind of utopian society, mm-hmm. but until you get to that, it's just bad things happening with people who are then motivated by their all of the bad things that are in themselves who perpetuate bad things on the world right. And if you take society and you say, okay, that's not acceptable, then their baseline is, I don't get to have this bad behavior, even if I have these bad feelings. Maybe they have the anger and the ego and the greed all their lives, but they hopefully, in a society like that, they never get to any kind of real power. But you're right, what do you do with the the people who are truly evil? Because I believe that exists. But then if you don't believe that exists, you can be like, that doesn 't happen yeah so well
2: I mean it's funny that that kind of goes back to uh dagger of the mind, where the the experiment in that episode is to see you know this device that can wipe away the parts of somebody 's brain that would cause them to be criminally dangerous, and mm-hmm. um, it, it it raises a question about well it, is if the criminal element is simply. A misfire of synapses. if It is a problem with brain chemistry. What is then the responsibility of that person who is simply experiencing uh, a disorder, a, a, a disease that could be corrected? Right. You know? We we don't blame somebody for catching a cold. We, right. we we treat them to make them better. You know. So if somebody is dangerous. Um, can and if we get to the point that we can treat them, then. Well, is it really then just about the treatment? It's not about well they are they are evil because they did something evil, therefore they're to be punished and removed from society. You know? Right.
0: Well, and, and I mean I think about the the episode Whom God's Destroy where where you've got this criminally insane group of folks that have been locked up uh, and there's things that happen in that episode. It, it's a good one. It, on my recommended list. How about that? What else about the undiscovered country? Let's 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 steer back and see. Is there? Any, okay. Are there any other notes or anything that y'all want to talk about?
1: I have two. Go for it. One, the Klingon language seems to all of a sudden have turned into like a real language. And then two, Kirk kissing. <laughs> <laughs> and the ultimate awesomeness, because I was thoroughly offended when, when uh, who's a MacGyver's gets called out, and he's just like, "How dare you be distracted on a mission?" And I feel like he, I, I got a tiny bit of a reward from him getting his comeuppance from being distracted by a quote fingers haughty alien.
2: <laughs> nice.
1: So nice. that was just for me. I felt like that was for me personally. Well,
0: and McCoy sums it up so nicely when it's all done with the "What is with you anyway?" Mm-hmm. moment. Right. Right? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Here in prison, and you're still you're still hooking up. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I'm I, I, I'm glad that that was a I, I'm glad that was part of the subterfuge. I'm I'm glad that was a setup and a, because it, it sort of. It allows you to have a Kirk moment like that, where and McCoy responds appropriately. Mm-hmm. But it also sort of allows Kirk to age a little gracefully. That that you know what he didn't just show up. He didn't just get to hook up with the hot alien because this was all part of the plan. This was all part of it. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it tempers it a little bit. If they had been taking the, gosh, at that point what sixty year old Kirk? I, I I'm not sure exactly. How old he would have been?
0: Somewhere, you know, somewhere in that area. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like
2: I, I, I've been uh, a guest on the Six O Two Club for the last year doing all the James Bond movies, and I love Roger Moore, and I love Roger Moore at his peak. In me yeah, too. It, we'll
0: talk about that. Oh later. my god, he's
2: just—he's awesome. He's so great, yeah. right? But here's yeah, the I mean, thing: man with
0: the Golden Guns one of my favorites. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, but here's
2: the thing: You get to the end of his run as Bond. And instead of, instead of an aging Roger Moore with an appropriate love interest like Maud Adams when they brought her back for Octopussy, um, you've got 58-year-old Roger Moore with like a 25-year-old Tanya Roberts. And, and it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. And it's not because Roger Moore isn't cool. It's because they're trying to play the same chemistry they had 10 years ago or 15 years ago, and it it just doesn't add up. So I I wanted that character to age with some dignity and some grace, and he can still be sexy, and he can still be fun, and he can still be awesome at his job, but don't just try to plug in the same thing that worked all along. So that's why I like that moment with Kirk Mm -hmm. (laughs) coming back to Star Trek. It definitely, Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like we get to have fun with it, but we also get to sort of take the air out of it a little bit. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I had kind of the same feeling when uh, the, the oh the Chang yeah I remember yeah. her name <laughs> nice. when when he's monologuing he's just like well I might as well tell you everything and then they get beamed up it was like such a uh, such a great written moment for the haha you thought it was going to be easy viewers and then right. just like you caught me monologuing it was just, uh. oh, it was perfect <laughs> I really really enjoyed that moment It's it felt like. The writer knew exactly what the Star Trek viewer was going to be thinking mm-hmm. and, and got to tease him a little bit. And that, that was perfect.
2: I, I think, you know, really that comes from, and, and this comes up every few years whenever there's a, a, a reinvention in Star Trek. So many fans say, well, it needs to be somebody who knows Star Trek. It needs to be somebody who's a Star Trek fan. And I'm the first to raise my hand and say, no, 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 no. You need a great writer. Nicholas Meyer came to Star Trek as a great writer who knew nothing about Star Trek, but Jessica, what you're pointing out, it's those moments that a great writer can say, yeah, we're not going to give the audience everything. And we're going to recognize the little things that the audience does get and they do expect, and we're going to twist it a bit. So it it stays fun. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm really enjoying about discovery now is, is that it's so different and I don't want Star Trek just handed to me where I go down a checklist and say, oh, yeah, this has everything that Star Trek is supposed to have right there on a silver platter. Here's the ship, here's the captain, here's the engineer, here's what they do, here's where they go, here's how the story wraps up. I don't want that. Had that for 50 years, you know. Well, I, I'm not 50, but <laughs> Star Trek has had that for 50 years. We've had that for <laughs> years. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So, um,. Yeah, so that, that's the mark of a great writer is to be able to do the same but different. Take, take that same environment, the same setup, the same tropes, but make them different enough that you stay engaged and you stay on your toes with the story.
0: Well, and as we, Jessica, you and I start to transition into the next generation, I think about the, the incredible pushback – that was happening back in the 80s in the late 80s about you can't have star trek without captain kirk and how and you can't even have star trek without william shatner mm-hmm. who you know at that point was basically the same age that he was in this movie uh just a little bit younger mm-hmm. and and people were saying you can't do any of that and and yet what we ended up with arguably is as good maybe better in certain ways certainly more advanced and he can't give up his 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 true love for the original <laughs> right? series do you to hear save all the caveats life. coming out of Andy?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the almost as good no matter what people say uh,
1: are you wearing the shirt right now that says captain kirk is better than picard I, uh, I have seen that shirt so many times, guys. That's awesome.
2: No, no, I've got my, I've
0: got my red, <laughs> my red shirt. My red shirt. Um, yeah, I have way too many Star Trek t-shirts. That's one of my <laughs> Um But uh, I, I remember that pushback and how much people said, you can't do this to Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And now you look back and say, thank God they did. And now we're, we're seeing, we saw and still are seeing some of the same things. In fact, it's even... It's it's multiplied because we have social media and we have yeah. YouTube videos. I see a new YouTube video posted every week, every day about how – discovery is ruining the franchise <laughs> how they how they don't know anything and you know i i they really needed to prove something to me you remember yeah. that yeah John, yeah yeah when yeah. this whole started Absolutely. they needed to
1: prove i'm sure you heard about a
2: just test, prove yeah. that well, it just about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was
1: he was very yeah. like i am cautiously almost optimistic right, maybe right. it was like that but... <laughs>
2: yeah yeah
1: well
0: i after where are we at 12 episodes mm, in no nine, nine episodes yeah. in mm-hmm. We're nine episodes in, and and the ninth episode to me, and I think I sent you this this message. Mm-hmm. It's Star Trek to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. and I you know it's different. It's a completely different way of telling Star Trek stories. Mm-hmm. But when I look at what makes Star Trek Star Trek, there's a feeling I get. There's a there's a a connection that I get to the characters, to the stories, to how it makes my mind work that when I see it, I know it and I'm, we're there now we're starting to get there. Um, so, so I tip my hat to anybody that's willing to reinvent themselves and continue to fly in the face of, but you can't without William Shatner or whatever.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean I mean look, Star Trek the Motion Picture was a big change from the original series. Huge Star shift. Trek 2 was a big change from Star Trek the Motion Picture.
0: You like picture. the motion picture. And and I didn't I, I didn't it, tell Jessica that. to not watch it. I basically said start with Star Trek 2 because that's the story that like I mm. wanted us to do 2 and 6. She did 3 and 4 on her own. Sure.
2: And and, and uh, 3 is a great transition movie. 4 is just fun, you know. Yeah. Um but to me, uh, Star Trek Motion Picture gets better every time I watch it because there, well, A, there's a big, big Star Trek theme in it. There's a big Star Trek point of view in that movie. Uh, but B, it it's um, it's Spock 2.0. Well, it's Spock. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, it's 2.0. It 0. is 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, she didn't get to see 2.0 as much yeah. Yeah. because we sort of passed into Spock 2.0. Five, two
2: point
1: 2.9, 3.0? Are these so, actual or are you making up delineations? No, no, no. It, it, okay. a, we're, we're making
2: it up. We're making we it up. <laughs> it we, we need to explain it, it now. We need to explain it something so, There's something very profound that happens to Spock in Star Trek The Motion Picture. And it, it, the the struggle of the Spock that we met in TOS, that guy who comes into the conference room in the Naked Time and and is beating himself up about who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys watch the Naked Time? You watched the Naked Time, right? Okay, yeah. I, I love that moment. That's a really hard thing for an actor to do—to to walk into a room alone monologuing and and expressing these emotions acting is reacting so when you you're just there in a room and there's a camera on you okay go Leonard Nimoy does an incredible job at that and that that always amazes me his breakdown in that episode and it tells you everything you need to know about Spock Um, that he has this internal struggle. And then you get to see it again in This Side of Paradise. You get to see it again in Journey to Babel when he's dealing with all of his family stuff. So by the time you get to the motion picture, of course, of course Spock wanted to go back to Vulcan and purge himself of all of this human emotional residue hanging out because he's a guy who who hates himself uh, uh, on a certain level. He, he can't bear the idea that he's not his ideal version of himself, right? But the experience in the motion picture, his epiphany with meeting V'ger is so beautiful to me. And, and I, look, as much as we all break down watching Spock's death scene, as much as we all break down at the, the signatures at the end of Star Trek VI... I, I my my heart kind of skips a beat in that scene in the motion picture when Spock has come back from the spacewalk and he's lying in the sickbay bed, and he grabs Kirk's hand and he says, "This this simple feeling is beyond Vo- V'ger's understanding," you know, and like that's the moment where Spock realizes that he gets to reconcile his human and his Vulcan halves. And I think that's why we get to the Spock of Star Trek Two. Spock in Star Trek Two is more grounded. He's more at ease with himself. And he makes the, yeah, logical, but also human emotional decision to sacrifice himself for his friends. This is really about his bond with the crew. You know, it's not just like a purely logical, well, needs the many outweigh the needs of the few no no no. he loves them he loves them you know yep. Yep. so th- th- this is part of the reason i love star trek the motion picture i also love it because of the big themes the the big themes about god and existence and and our place in the universe and i, I think that's all there in that movie pacing is bad sure <laughs> pacing is horrible pacing's horrible
0: <laughs> Horrible. i'll give him that it's so slow and plodding. Yeah. but but for the time and i said this i said this last week uh to jessica and i'll say it again the special effects that they did at that time i thought were almost as groundbreaking as star wars and i preferred them to star wars mm-hmm. once they came out they were i mean star wars was groundbreaking yeah where this was kind of improving upon it, but I thought it improved upon it really nicely. In, I mean, we saw some spectacular colors and yeah. things inside of V'ger. and yeah. it was. And and I know you haven't seen the movie. No. <laughs> uh, when
1: when was that one made?
2: Seventy nine. It came out. Seventy
1: nine. Okay. Wow. So there's there's a huge difference between the graphics then and Undiscovered Country, which you guys said was ninety one. Oh yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Big Did big y'all difference. Think,
1: the uh, yeah. the gravity, the anti-gravity when that gets shot out, and the blood.
2: Right. Yeah, right. we're going
1: to talk special <laughs> effects.
2: Yes, uh, yes. Even
1: at, at the time, did people watch that and be like, oh, good God. Or was it like, wow, it's cool. Early,
2: it's early CG for, for that kind of effect. And, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I think at the time it was pretty cool, but it didn't hold up very well. <laughs>
0: I I remember it being cool and now it looks like they're all inside a lava lamp.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Right. (laughs) Right. With the blood. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Is the Klingon language a real, like, did somebody take the time and make that a real language? It's got vocabulary. Oh, yeah. I think the Big Bang Theory is like, oh, there's Klingon poetry.
2: That actually (laughs) goes back, that goes back to 79. That goes back to Star Trek The Motion pictures. So James Doohan, Scotty, is the one who said, wait, uh, Klingon should be speaking Klingon. And I believe he originated that with a few words, just kind of playing around with the, the linguistics of it to get a little something on screen. Um, but then Mark Ockrand, I think I'm saying that right, okay, R-A-N-D, was brought in to develop a language and he actually, there's a dictionary, there are rules to the, the grammar and syntax of the language. Yeah, they wrote it all out. Wow. So it's a thing.
1: Yeah. Is because, it based on anything? Like romance language or it's its, it's own thing?
2: Oh, I don't know. I, I, th- I think it might be its own thing but huh. uh, yeah
0: yeah i don't know how they created it but i know that there are classes that you can take yeah. wow uh, yeah. also, i mean yeah. i don't know why
1: this is blowing my mind of course you can cuz star trek fans are cray cray
2: exactly exactly <laughs> yes. they, they, they tweaked it they tweaked it a little bit for star trek 6 though because here you've got christopher plummer the shakespearean trained actor and they wanted to make the uh, They wanted to make the sound a little closer when he's doing to be or not to be and doing it in Klingon. If they had literally done it in Klingon based on the rules that they had, you wouldn't have recognized it. But they wanted to make sure the words coming out of his mouth were a little more poetic, a little more Shakespearean. So they tweaked it a bit for him. Um, he also asked to not be covered up in as much makeup, so you notice that his mm-hmm. ridges are really minimal, so mm-hmm. you can really see him, and God, he is magnificent in that role. Uh, I just love him.
1: The, uh, what I thought was nice is that you have just as many Klingons for it as against it, just as many Starfleet for it as against it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Everyone's complex, everyone's society is complex, and it, it, it just made it so much richer right
0: mm-hmm. well and it, it it definitely fills out the it fills out the Klingon culture this is why Star Trek 6 was the Klingons going forward are now going to have depth we're going to meet one and really get to know him a lot and then we're going to meet a lot of peripheral characters that are going to show up a lot in in next generation but Deep Space 9 is very Klingon heavy so I wanted to show that difference between they're just the bad guy to defeat or the bad guy to throw the triple at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and change that to now we start to see that they're, for lack of a better term, they're human.
1: Yeah. Well, right. everyone's you you know? There you go. That's, an, yeah. that's a nice way to close it out. Turns out everybody in Star Trek is human. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, so was Spock. It was offensive.
2: Right. <laughs>
0: John, I, I want to be conscious of everybody's time, but do you have a few more minutes? Uh, I
2: can, yeah, yeah, I can give you a few more. I, I've actually I have to write mission log today, so um, but yeah, I, I can give you a few more minutes.
0: We're not going to have a, an actual Captain Kirk wrap-up show, mm. but but I wanted to just take a couple of minutes and kind of wrap up the Captain Kirk saga here and you know maybe throw in i i I made a list of episodes that we didn't get to that i'd love for everybody to see some we've already talked about a couple you've already seen just but before that jessica how'd you like captain kirk how'd you like the this how you doing on the track (laughs) this is my check-in this is this is our
1: checkpoint (laughs) this was a great moment to check in because, uh, the Captain Kirk of this movie, very, very enjoyable. The Captain Kirk of the original series, I did not really like all that much. And I have a feeling, uh, just with what people in my life have said who know me and you, Andy, I'm going to like the next generation a lot more. Uh, so it's been really, really interesting. All of this stuff is, is complex. And Thank God, Star Trek deals with some of the, uh, some of the things that we we can't get a grapple on because we're human and we're gonna forever struggle with some of the same things. So, uh, I like him a lot more now. <laughs> I think. <laughs> do you remember this specifically? I introduced Andy to Firefly.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right. Yes, love it. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, do you remember when you hated Jane? Oh yes. And you were like, he is such a jerk. He's a horrible character. I don't like him. And then in the end, you could go back and watch Jane, and you'd be like, he's all right.
0: Yeah, I, I actually This was, is
1: my moment. Yeah. Kirk's all right.
0: <laughs> okay, got it. That's well, yeah. You know what? I'm good with that. Yeah? Because you know how much he means to me. You know how much the Captain Kirk character meant to me in my life because mm. we've talked about it in my boyhood hero and you know Star Trek was a big touchstone for me in a lot of ways um, but it was to watch him make this journey and, and again it was from Corbomite might maneuver through all of his stuff back to learning the lesson that he originally was teaching it's it's a very it's a very we're human I, I just there's something about that arc that really resonates with me because you know i continue to move forward and lessons i've learned in the past i continue to relearn he just i feel like i'm walking along with my hero
2: yeah i mean jessica i'm, I'm on the same page as you i i feel like like i, I love tos and, and that's the show that i grew up with and it's stylish and it's raucous and it's action-packed and it's sexy and the the cast is great, you know. But if you didn't have those movies, mm-hmm. it would feel like this thing sort of stuck in amber in the '60s. Um, you need those movies to actually flesh out those characters and give a character like Kirk a little more grounding,
1: you yeah. know? Yep.
2: The thing that shocked me when we went back for Mission Log and, and started with TOS all over again, you know, I had seen these episodes all a million times, but but at various stages and in, in different orders. Mm-hmm. But studying it from the beginning, I was shocked at how little the other characters like Sulu and Chekhov and Uhura, how little they actually get to do. Yeah. And yep. yet... They are such fan favorites. And when you see a poster or a picture of Star Trek, Mm -hmm. you see all seven of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're icons. Yeah, yeah. So they're in our minds as icons, but it took those movies to really finish the painting, to really finish who they are, and and give them each something to do and give them each some purpose in there. So, um, yeah, yeah, if we... If Star Trek had simply been those three seasons, and then you skip the animated and you skip the movies, and then you end up mm-hmm. with Star Trek The Next Generation, I, I think that we would not still have the love affair with those original series characters.
1: I think you're absolutely right, and definitely with the secondary characters, because I. At most, Uhura is a glorified secretary, and mm-hmm. Chekhov gets smacked around a lot, and mm-hmm. Scotty gets to say kind of the one-off fun things, and then that's Sulu. Well, he he does a little bit. He becomes a captain, but right. then that's like it.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, I could I could even do with more. <laughs>
2: yeah, sure, yeah. sure.
0: I, I I noticed the same thing, John, because. Part of my challenge was to introduce Star Trek to Jessica, so I was looking for episodes that would highlight all the different characters, and it was and right. yet also be a good episode. You don't right. want to watch, right. <laughs> want to watch Wolf in the Fold?
2: No, nope, uh, no. Nope, even nope, though nope. it's a
0: good Scotty episode, Scotty's a lot in it,
2: but well, mm-hmm. you don't want to
0: watch it. Um, so, so finding those powerful moments and. It is a shame we don't get more from Nichelle Nichols. It is a shame we don't get more from George Takei Mm -hmm. Uh, throughout the stories, throughout the movies, even in the movies, there's still the secondary characters. This was Mm -hmm. still Kirk and McCoy, Kirk and sidekick McCoy, and then Spock, mostly with Kim Cattrall with with Valeris Mm -hmm. and everybody else kind of had their little tasks to do. So it was very Star Trek for that, too the ensemble becomes more important i think as we move into into the 80s we'll see that more more next generation i think i'm pretty sure and we'll definitely see it more i know we'll see it more in when we get to deep space nine and and then some more in voyager two.
2: well and and, you know again it's partly the the difference in style of tv from the 60s to the 80s you know 80s and beyond there is an emphasis on the ensemble cast in the 1960s, you had your star of the show and Shatner did a hell of a job wearing that mantle as the star of the show. Yeah. Often to the chagrin of his coworkers, (laughs) you know, Yep. Uh, but um, yeah, but but that's how that show was made. And, and you know, it, it, it is what it is at that point, but I'm, I'm glad that there's sort of a maturity in storytelling that we get when we go beyond, you know, starting with the next gen and then beyond that.
0: I made a list of episodes that we didn't get to, Jessica,
1: mm-hmm. that,
0: that you should just go back and watch this week. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh. yeah time, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so uh, the first one I, I suggested was the changeling, which is kind of the original telling of the Star Trek, the motion picture story, or a different version Mm -hmm. of that story. Good fun story. And there's some good Uhura moments in it. So, Mm -hmm. uh, she sings, which I think is awesome. The devil in the dark. We didn't get to watch. Oh, Uh, so she, I know, right?
2: Yeah. This is the frustration. Yes. Yes. This is the
0: frustration with doing, with doing only 7% of all the episodes is you miss out. Uh, best Kirk fight ever. Shore Leave. (laughs) <laughs>
2: um, right? Yeah, I, I, look, short leave is fun. Um, and yeah it, it just pretty much is purely fun you, you don't have a big yep. lesson in it and I, man I hate Finnegan so much I know we're supposed to hate him but now I really hate him you were
0: supposed to it's <laughs> no, well makes-
2: but but I I my, my hate goes beyond the supposed to hate my, <laughs> my my hate is a deep burning hatred of that character it's
0: what makes the end of that fight so satisfying
2: yeah yeah uh, but, but devil in the dark yeah that that's as much much as the Corbamite maneuver is sort of quintessential track, Devil in the Dark is quintessential track. And I know that around here, that that's a lot of people's favorites.
0: Yeah, I love it too. The other best Kirk fight ever is Arena. Oh, sure. Uh, Which we didn't get to uh, with the Gorn, always fun. Day of the Dove, I talked about before. That's uh, Mm -hmm. the Klingon episode that you didn't get to see. Uh, Okay, number six here, John. Tell her why she shouldn't watch iMud.
2: Oh, sweet Lord. (laughs) (laughs) i heard it's pretty sexist yeah it's just you know what it, it, it oh god it feels super dated it is super because dated. of the yeah but uh, look uh, roger c carmel is an awesome actor that man can choose scenery like nobody yeah. else Um, there are good moments of the the primary cast in it, too, because clearly they're having fun in the episode. But the the stereotype of the characters that are in there, and yeah, they're androids. I I get it. So they're programmed in a certain way. It's just kind of painful to watch. Look, watch it. But, save it for but know what's some coming. time. Yeah, later. know what's coming. Oh no, yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. It, it is a little census,
0: okay. but it's it's goofy, <laughs> goofy fun. And this and I, I notice I did not put on their muds women, which is the first. It introduces this character, Harry Mud. Um, and the thing
2: about muds women though is that there's actually. There's something to wrap your mind around. There are some challenges in the episode for you to sort of deal with. Like, is this right? Is this wrong? You and
0: I still argue about how wrong he's being for what he's doing.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. So th- th- there is something there at the heart of it uh, to to at least mull over. I'mud is just more like, well, we got this goofy character. We'll do something again. How can we make it even goofier? <laughs> you know.
0: Do you have any episodes that you'd be interested in uh in, in Jessica watching that you've seen our list?
2: Well, I, I forget. I you, you did uh you did yes. City on the Edge of Forever, of right? Of course, yes, yes, very yeah. much. Yeah. I mean it's just such a great story that you you could pull that out and not have it be star trek and it's still a great Mm -hmm. story it's still a great science fiction story it's a great love story like it's sort of got everything you know what
0: makes it work after watching some other stuff is you get the relationship between kirk and spock
2: yeah totally
0: which which you you need to know that going in
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i you did a muck time Mm
1: mm-hmm wait did we she
0: she saw that we we didn't do it as part of our part of our uh, fifty two, but she did go back and watch that off of my recommendation. Okay.
2: Okay.
1: Remind me which one that was. Spock's wedding. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> right.
2: Right. <laughs> right. Um, stay away. <laughs> stay away from the alternative factor, Stay away from the empath. Stay away from turnabout intruder. Um, I, that was one
0: I told you to stay away from too. Turnabout intruder.
2: Yeah. Horrible, Horrible it's,
0: last episode of. Uh, it's terrible way to end it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, you, I know you did. Uh, Let that be our last battlefield. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's this. You know, Ken and I loved it so much that, that there's the, the scene of, uh, Kirk, Spock, and is it. I guess, sitting at the conference table, they're eating and and he's trying to explain, well, well, you you know, it's just a fact because he's half black and half white and I'm half white and black. And Spock has the best reaction ever to that, which is, hmm. (laughs) It's just, it tells you everything you need to know in that one moment. (laughs) Nobody needs to make a speech. Nobody needs to say right out, you're an idiot. Spock just nails it. He nails that reaction. He really does. Yeah. No, I, I think you've done a, a fine job of picking. What else? What else do you have was on your, your list? We did
0: not get to see Balance of Terror. We watched The Enterprise Incident as yeah. a Romulan episode because for, for a lot of reasons, I really like those characters and wanted to introduce her to the Romulan commander. But Mark Leonard, who played Sarek in Journey to Babel, before he was Sarek, plays a Romulan in Balance of Terror, and it's excellent. It's a great, mm-hmm. a great contest of wills between Kirk and this Romulan as they try to outmaneuver each other. Um, my One of my all-time favorite guest stars was Trelane, the lonely Squire of mm-hmm. Gothos.
2: Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. Squire of Gothos is just goofy fun. Hey, you know what? Actually, here's what I do, Jessica. If you go back and watch Squire of Gothos,
1: mm-hmm.
2: watch it after you've watched about you know half of your run of next gen because you've got okay. Q you've got Q in there. Yes. And then go yes. back and watch Squire of Gothos.
0: I will be we're gonna be doing obviously Encounter at Far Point, and then we're gonna be doing Q Who as well. Great. Um, and so I will be I will make sure to include Squire of Gothos as a recommendation for Q Who. I will remember
2: that. Yeah. Because yeah.
0: that's true because there's a lot of speculation about who Trelane was.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Love it. Um, and then we have the Tomorrows. We have Tomorrow is Yesterday and Return to Tomorrow.
2: Oh, I love Return to Tomorrow. Yeah.
0: Right? A little yeah. bit of Sargon action. Uh, and then I, I also put on here Assignment Earth, which is my actual favorite episode, which, Jessica, you did watch. I did. Really? So, yeah. Gary Seven? Huh. Did you know that? That's my favorite episode.
2: I had no idea. I'm not, I, I'm kind of lukewarm on that one. Uh, first of all, why is it your favorite? And Jessica, what did you think?
0: There's two things about it. It was Captain Kirk needing to... There was a, a nice story arc for him. So I got to see a hero, my hero, um, have to trust somebody who could have probably become another one of my heroes because the Gary Seven character I connected with really fast hmm. and saw the potential. I've, I, I wrote short stories in, in high school about Gary Seven.
2: Wow. Uh,
0: wow. yeah. Cause I thought there was just something really fascinating about that character. And so it was like, having two different heroes show up in the same Star Trek episode. Hmm. And that's a lot of why it turned into my favorite.
2: Jessica, what did you think?
1: Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Possibly because it was not Star Trek when I was right. in Royal. I mean, it's fairly right. non-Star Trek-y. Uh, Gary Seven also, I thought, uh, as a character, really good. But the actor really, really had whatever it is that makes charm come to life on television. Uh, so I really... And I liked... And I can't even remember her name. What's the... Terry Gar? Terry Gar. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, enthusiastically you think she's ditzy and she's really not. She's really quick. And I would love to have seen the play between the cats, Gary seven and her and just fun situations that they get, they get into. Nice. Uh, I, I, I have a feeling I would have enjoyed that spinoff a lot.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was a, it was a fun episode. I thought. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Last
0: one on my list is uh, the first episode I ever got to see. Um, and I've mentioned this to you, Jessica, that you need to see Spock in a fedora. A
1: piece of the action. (laughs) Finally, I get the actual title of the one. A
0: piece of the action.
1: A piece of the action. What happened to A Private Little War?
2: Oh. Oh. Oh.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, uh, Wow. Uh, That, I guess I just didn't think about it when I made my list. (laughs) Now I got to make another list.
2: (laughs) A piece of the action is just pure fun there's no no other thing about it just pure fun um i think a private little war is not a super well-produced episode but man is it thought-provoking and and it is just ripped out of the headlines for 1968 when you know it was happening in vietnam this is it's another bonk bonk Mm -hmm. on the head this is what's happening half a world away
0: Right. Isn't it wonderful how Star Trek can get away with these stories
2: Sure, because
0: it's an alien because
1: (laughs) it's we're not talking about Russians. We're talking about Klingons. What do you mean?
2: Right. Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: My last question. I think the worst episode and I still kind of enjoyed it. What do you think of Spock's brain?
2: Oh, you know what? Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. Okay. (laughs) In in the way that Ed Wood's Plan 9 from Outer Space (laughs) is not the worst movie ever made because it's so entertaining in how poorly it's made, Spock's Brain is not the worst episode of Star Trek. Spock's Brain is campy and goofy and ridiculous Mm -hmm. and weird but there are some thoughts behind that episode they i I love that they sort of threw everything at the screen for the season opener for season three it's big and bold and bright and colorful and there's a lot of sets going on but it's kind of intriguing that is a hard sci-fi idea to have a biological brain running A community. Mm. And I think it's an awesome thing to wrap your mind around. No pun intended. It's an awesome (laughs) thing to wrap your mind around. And I'm, yeah, I'm tickled that that episode exists. There are worse, there are many worse episodes of Star Trek that commit the sin of being boring.
1: Mm, Um, Way worse.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Not having a sense of humor about themselves, Mm -hmm. uh, or being preachy. Yeah, uh, Spock's Brain, I, I would watch Spock's Brain before I would watch The Empath again. I would watch it certainly before I would watch um uh Turnabout Intruder, or...
1: Cat's Paw. I knew Cat's Paw was going to come oh, up. Oh,
2: Cat's Paw. I knew it's... Yeah, it's just... Oh, it's just... Well, that one's hard to get <laughs> It really is. Yeah. It really is. I, I, yeah.
0: Kudos for them for saying, hey, here's an idea. Let's do a holiday episode. Let's do a... a, a, a sure. A, 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 but boy, did they just lay an egg.
2: Sure, yeah. Did, did you guys watch Dagger of the Mind? I, I know we mentioned it in we this did episode. Not, but, no, we didn't get oh. to
0: that at all, so...
2: Yeah, when you were talking about mental health and and the penal system in Star Trek's future, Dagger of the Mind is uh, is very interesting to me. And did you guys watch uh, The Side of Paradise?
0: No, and in fact, uh, it's it, it is so frustrating to me to have only fifty two. I designed this this silly track to be fifty two episodes long across all the series. What a task this was because I have to take episodes off the list that are just like. It crushes me. Sure. And that's one of them. The sure, Side of Paradise, yeah. which we haven't even really talked about. And, you know, Spock letting his hair down a little bit.
1: Well, if we didn't do 52, we'd be doing what John's doing, and it would take the rest of my life. How many? <laughs> yes. How long How
0: will Mission Log end up being? You must have done the calculations on
2: this. Oh, yeah. I, I, the week we started, somebody sent a spreadsheet Of uh, saying, yeah, here's how long it'll take you, 14.9 years to get through all of Star Trek. But they didn't even uh, accommodate for holidays, Mm -hmm. because we usually take Thanksgiving and Christmas off. Sure, Um, supplementals supplementals and then sometimes movies so it's just going to keep going and going and Mm -hmm. now you've got discovery and discovery will go on and now you've got uh who knows what the future of the movie franchise will be and let's say that in 10 years because now we've been at it for five years let's say that in 10 years discovery has run its course and there's another new star trek
0: I wouldn't be surprised to see CBS try and turn this into the Star Trek universe similar to the mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Marvel or the D C universe. I really yep. if, if they can build the audience, there are a lot of stories and a lot of directions, a lot of ships and a lot of potential storylines out there.
2: I'd uh I'd like to see an animated Star Trek. Um, a, a new animated Star Trek. I, I kind of don't care what time period you set it in, what characters, but I, I think that's a good medium for Star Trek to keep to keep expanding that universe. Um, Jessica, if you haven't watched it, and, and I certainly wouldn't hold you to watching all of the animated series unless you just really dig it, but watch Yesteryear.
1: Oh, yes. We watched Yesteryear and yeah. The Lorelei Signal.
2: Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Good, yeah. Say, ah, it, yesterday it just shows, was
1: required. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, they're just they're doing really thoughtful television for a young audience, you know, and I, I want to see that happen again.
0: Those those animateds are just people don't know about. Yeah, them. yeah, I'm surprised when I go to the conventions how much people don't know about them. But they're rich, they're rich full stories, just like just like what we see on. Uh, you know, on on the evening shows. Totally, Jessica, you're about to say goodbye to Captain Kirk. <laughs> Anything you want to say to say to 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 wrap uh, up?
1: See you later, Spock.
2: Uh.
1: <laughs> 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 Maybe, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John Champion.
2: Yeah. Thank. you. Oh, hey, thank you.
1: Yes, thank you so much.
2: It's been a blast. Yeah. This was great.
0: I am. Uh, you were you were wonderful. Just to be able
2: to oh. provide knowledge and insight and
1: context. Yes. Well, thanks, Thank
2: guys. I I'm really I'm flattered at the invitation. I'm glad that we got to have uh, as fun a conversation as we did. Um, sorry if we went over, but um, yeah, th- this is a blast, and uh, I look forward to doing it again sometime. And. Um, and look, Cheska, you and I both have to figure out Deep Space 9 in the coming months. So Yeah, um, we've got to I'm find that be...
1: one episode where it crosses over because that will be super yeah, fun. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Since our bonuses are now over, the the Captain Kirk saga is now over. We should talk about what's next.
1: The Next Generation is next.
0: The Next Generation is next and we're going to start our Next Generation part of your trek Jessica by watching the pilot episode so episode one and two of season one so this is a two-parter hmm it's called encounter at Farpoint
1: is it two episodes you said it's a two-parter it's a two-parter oh okay back to your Twitter if you follow at begin the trek to blow up December 30th. I will be tweeting Encounter at Farpoint, and it looks like I'll be tweeting both. Yes. So there's going to be lots of tweets. Okay, fantastic. So you're tweeting on the 30th of December. Saturday. Saturday. December 30th, 6 p.m. Mountain Time here in the U.S. At
0: begin the Track, hashtag BTT, hashtag Encounter at Farpoint. Indeed. Awesome. Well. Wow. What a fantastic conversation with John.
1: Yes, absolutely. Another thank you to him for, he's a, just such a gracious uh, and knowledgeable uh, person to talk to. So as I really appreciate it, when we were off the air, he really, he said something so beautiful. There's no wrong way to be a Star Trek fan. Uh, that's really beautiful. <laughs> you don't yeah, have, You yeah. don't have to know everything. You just have to like Star Trek. That's, that's it. And that's great.
0: No barrier to entry. Everybody yep. everybody is welcome here. Everybody can be a fan. All you have to do is say I am.
1: There you go. So so um
0: you're about to become, I hope, mm-hmm. a fan of the next generation with Encounter at Farpoint. So have fun watching that.
1: And we will see you guys all when this that sounded
0: so clunky. That is.
1: How about Happy New Year, everybody?
0: Right. Happy New Year. So so enjoy your, your New Year's. Enjoy Encounter at Farpoint. And we will see you in 2018 for Beginning the Track. Yes. Bye. Bye.
2: By the way, correction. Correction, not the Commodores. The Commodores were awesome. Commodores and Star Trek not so much. Um Got
0: it. Jessica didn't got it, but I got it.
2: Yeah, if you like 70s, if you like 70s soul and funk, then the Commodores are fine. So
1: <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs>
2: oh, stop it. Stop Sorry. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs>